0: Almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know, the less you really do Where would we be
1: said chat Great and Company Here we go higher side chatters, another day another deep dive into the strangeness of our multi-leveled matrix and what it is that makes the cosmic clock tick. You can look at the layout of Washington, D.C., the twin pillar ritual of 9-11, NASA missions, the Harvest Festival shooting, corporate logos, or even Rockefeller Plaza. And you'll see a thick film of esoterica coating nearly everything the oily appendages and the nefarious few have touched. Well, today we're talking to a returning guest who thoroughly blew my mind earlier in the year with his work on the highly ritualized Susquehanna River, Sir Francis Bacon, John Dee, and the summoning of technological demons from ENIAC to D-Wave. His name is Michael Wan, and his work can be found at SasquahannaAlchemy.com, and today we're going to turn his ritual-revealing skills to a few recent events and try to get a better understanding of what's under the esoteric hood, how the elite understand reality, and the mechanisms that make this magic work. The ever-impressive Sasquahanna sage himself, Michael Wan, welcome back to THC. Thank you for having me, my friend. That's quite an introduction, quite an introduction, thank you. Thank you. I try. And this is a real treat because your work is some of the most amazing stuff I've seen this year. It all connects so well and really does expose some chapters of the elite's esoteric playbook that I'm sure most people had no idea about. It connects to some of the most notable figures in this sort of history with Sir Francis Bacon and John Dee, But it also covers the trajectory of computer technology, which could very likely be the most important factor in the human story when it's all said and done. So I really can't say enough about how impressive your work has been, and I'm just psyched to dive in further, man.
2: All right, me too. I'm excited to do this as well.
1: Right on. So we were going to start with the Thousand Oaks shooting we had on November 7th, where we're told a shooter opened fire inside the Borderline Bar at 99 Rolling Oaks Drive, where, according to Witness Nicholas Champion... Fifty to sixty survivors of the Route 91 Harvest Festival shooting were actually in the bar. That alone is strange. But give us your thoughts on the Thousand Oaks shooting and what leads you to thinking it was a ritual more than just a random event.
2: All right. This is a great place to start. And I think it's also on a quick snapshot is it is so interesting, but this is we're recording this three and a half weeks later, and the news cycle goes so fast that this is almost old news, Yeah, but I want to go back in time and kind of paint the picture of what was going on in the collective, because at least from the lens, which I like to look at things, I like to look at it from the conductor's perspective, whom or whatever that may be. (laughs) So the shooting was on the 7th, which was a Wednesday, and the 6th, was a tuesday and that tuesday was the election day and so now we're going to go back another month and we're going to go back to october the sixth and this was the night of the final kavanaugh hearing vote and if we can remember what the collective emotion was at the time it doesn't matter like we're stepping outside of the story and we're just looking at it from a higher level and doesn't matter how you see it if you are at all involved with it, you're getting really, really worked up inside. You're feeling the emotions really build. And this is timed perfectly, which is probably to a lesser scale, but definitely to a different audience with a smaller overlap. It was the UFC, Conor McGregor and Khabib fight. And so imagine these energies, they're building up and it's all this fight energy. And these guys are linked too. I mean, just the fact that, conor mcgregor's trainer's name is kavanaugh there's so much like deeper stuff like working in the collective unconscious so then the tide kind of the collective drops a little bit and then it starts to pick up again as the biggest election in the history you know is coming up and so it's pulling on this already heightened emotional sentiment in the collective this isn't dealing with anyone's person you're even looking at personal life for other stories. So the election comes, you have this huge like build-up, and then there is a release regardless of whatever side you are on. And then the shooting occurs at eleven fifteen PM. And now we want to go and look at the heavens because two interesting things are happening. One of a 30-day cycle, and the other is a 12-year cycle. And so what's happening is there's a new moon on the seventh so new moon represents always like you know new you know i want to start something i'm going to tap into the natural greater cycle and follow along and ride that wave it's kind of like riding downhill like the benefit of gravity so you want to do something new and then we also see six hours after the shooting occurs And this would be right around when the East Coast is waking up and getting, or more so going to work, maybe not waking up. And Jupiter, the king of the planets, if you will, moves into its home sign of Sagittarius. So this means it is starting a new Jupiter cycle and it's also tied into the lunar cycle which is like a little extra boom and so i'm going to be open to this was done absolutely consciously and purposefully orchestrated but i'm also open to the opposite of being it's the flip side like you know that's what orchestrated this to happen at that time regardless jupiter going into sagittarius from an astrological and elemental symbolic perspective, is all about fire. These are fire signs and fire planets. And Jupiter is the biggest planet. And from a symbolic perspective, it's a gas giant. It blows everything up, it expands the quality. So whether that's talking about astrology in someone's astrological chart, it, it increases The qualities in that sphere, the same idea would hold true if you wanted to do this to a timed ritual or ceremony. And you're going to be tapping into all of these energies. And this is around the same time we're really seeing the California wildfires, at least here in the East Coast, right around that same time, the amount of coverage was really, really picking up. And one more layer is then the Symbolic nature of 10,000 oaks. Oak has a strong, strong esoteric and symbolic and mythological connotation. I mean, just of what an oak is, you know, it's strong, it's this incredibly steadfast quality or tree or energy. And then 10,000, I mean, that connects to both like the Tao Te Ching, I think it's like the first chapter, you know, there's the one and then the two and then the 10,000 things. So 10,000 is like, and also goddess worship, you know, the whole idea of there's only one goddess and she goes by 10,000 names. So we're tapping into like these two kind of charged words or concepts. So everything around it lines up to ritualistic and ceremonial purposes. So that's at least the way I see that.
1: Well, it's super interesting because you can see that there are timing elements that are just too precise to really be coincidental. But like you said, it doesn't really tell us about the motivations behind it or was it conscious or unconscious. And even with something like the California fires, there's a lot of people saying that was directed energy weapons. So again, is it like Are there people pulling the strings of reality and forcing these things through at the right times to heighten the energy? Or do fires just emerge because the fire planet's going back into its main house and it's a fire symbol in house? Like, it is a, a curious question. That stuff is still slippery, determining cause and motive.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. And I like how you positioned it. I try to use my words carefully. It is my opinion that certain elements of this were very much orchestrated, but I can't say that for certain because I haven't been exposed to those emails. You know, you always have to hold on to a realm of possibilities and then, you know, you go with whatever makes the most amount of sense, or at least that's how I go about it. But when I express this, I also like to express it a little bit more open as to not necessarily lead. But the connection is strong. And the way how I frame it up in my mind is the ancients, they had a real simple model for reality. You know, you had the heavens, you had the earth, and you have um, the underworld or hell. And those can be looked at from a lot of different ways, literally, symbolically, all sorts of different things. And it applies across a lot of different boards. And I think it goes without saying that, well, we'll use a house as analogy. If we live in the middle world, you can influence, and that's like the main floor of what you are living on, you can have influence on that experience by going underneath, by going into the basement. And you could also have a different experience, like let's say if you could look down and what the lower world and the higher world, for whatever they may be, and I choose those words because I don't know, I, I think that's what we're all trying to do is figure out what exactly this is. But there does appear to be these separations, and there are people in our world whose job, and I say that with quotation marks around it, it is to go on either the above or the below with the purpose of influencing the outcome of this middle floor, which we're living on. And what we can see with the alignments, and we know this, we know that this is just part of history. This is what the secret societies did. This is what the layout, as you said in the beginning, Washington, DC, like there's a very conscious and known element of people doing this. So, I mean, there's, it's not like that is a hard idea to grasp and to accept as being factual. And then when we see all of these clues all around it, I think it becomes easier to say, like, yes, the probability is, yeah, this is really happening. And this is being orchestrated in a way that the outcome on earth is to align with whatever's going up in the stars, whatever the stars may be. And we also see that done going underneath with a lot of the ceremonial aspect. And I think that translates itself in both like probably a ritual being done somewhere, you know, Bohemian Grove type sort of understanding, but maybe somewhere else in a private house or something like that. This is just a side note. I want to pause for a moment. I live outside of Philadelphia and there is a beautiful garden open to the public called Longwood Gardens. And it was in a state of the DuPont family, who then gave it to a foundation or started a foundation open public. Beautiful, beautiful thing. And when I walk around it, all I can see is like, yeah, this is where this ritual is going to take, and this is where that ritual is going to take. So my sense is, if I'm going to say what's just probability, that's how it works. And so these places, this model is happening all over, and probably somewhere nearby, there was a ritual that happened and was timed with it. We know these rituals happen. And it also is timed with a lot of this subliminal stuff. You know, that's our own personal, on a material level, our underworld. And that's why we're seeing, like, all of this coded language being put into the ritual itself. And I'm describing it from a technician perspective, you know, not necessarily from an ethical or a moral or that perspective. Just, like, this is how it certainly seems it works.
1: Hmm. Yeah, man. and. There were a couple other elements, even on top of the astrological timing when it came to the Thousand Oaks shooting, that I thought were kind of curious. Like one thing, I highlighted the fact that there was this witness, Nick Champion, which already is a symbolically potent name. You have this guy named Champion who's being interviewed on the news about this, and he states that 50 to 60 people from the Harvest Festival were in the bar the night of the shooting. Well, 58 people were killed at the Harvest Festival, so It's just a little weird that he's like between 50 and 60 people were here from there. And it's the same number, really, that was killed. I thought that was curious. And then we're going from Route 91 to a bar on 99 Rolling Oaks Drive. And even that seems to speak to two bookends to me with the 91 and the 99. I'm not really the guy to unpack all this, but you start looking at the numbers even. And it's all symbolically charged. And you can't help but be a little bit skeptical.
2: Oh, uh, I mean, <laughs> I couldn't agree with we're all playing this game it seems where we're in a dark room and we're all touching pieces of the elephant yeah. and we're trying to figure out what it is and each one of us, like me and you and all the listeners and all the other people who are kind of waking up to what is happening is like we come at it from our own perspective and different things are going to really jump out at us. And it seems to be true on all of these levels. And this is where it gets really, really tricky is in trying to decipher it. But, you know, it has all the elements of a stage drill and possibly like a stage drill becoming a live drill. Mm -hmm. You know, and you've got all of these sort of things. Like, I don't know if that happened, but that seems to be a technique we're seeing going over and over. And you're right, like with the numbers, In the same way you just described the number killed in Las Vegas with the 60 and 58 is the same way with the one and the nine and the nine and the one. This is the same sort of like play with numbers, like reverse numbers. It's the same sort of when the unconscious of the person who's listening to this, their brain is like doing this sort of number game. It's just how the brain works. And so it's linking in, it's hooking people. That's how it works. And you have all of these different, I like to call them matrices. And a matrix is just any system which is self-containing. And there's, We're always in like hundreds of matrices at a time, both collective and our own personal matrices. And so when we are in a matrix, the most important thing to recognize is when you're in it, you can't see it. It feels real. And so if you are able to step outside of it, or if someone is outside of that matrix, they have more control of it. They have control of that which you're living in. And so these ideas, these stories are like, you know, mental matrices, but they're also like energy matrices and all this sort of stuff. But there are real people who went and if this was a drill, which it certainly, you know, that's a realistic possibility. There were people that went and they created it. They are outside of the matrix and they are creating this experience, this reality for people and they understand it differently than those who experience it, particularly those who are seeing it on the magic computer box. And then you have to realize that there are matrixes even deeper than that, which those people are living in. And those are the guys or ladies or entities (laughs) which are really going deep. And so it's at some level, do they all connect? Are they all connected because there is, and I'm going to just say like a frequency, a call, which they're all in touch with, which we're all in touch with in different ways. And that's why it's going into our mind these are all just kind of ways of describing almost something we can't fully understand because we're so engrossed in it, but we can kind of sense our way into it and then make logical deductions. But it certainly, and I want to give you like another example after this, which kind of looks at it from a different perspective, but I want to finish that statement. It certainly looks like this is the modus operandi, the technique which is being done And this is exactly how Francis Bacon wrote about he wants to do it. He wants to hide clues in all of his work. As he described, it is his joy to hide it because it is the joy for the person to discover it. Hmm. And then you're like, okay, what does
1: that even mean? Uh, Right. Yeah, it's very cryptic. And in terms of the bar shooting, I know we didn't want to spend too much time on this one event, But there were just two more points I wanted to throw out there. One being that I've heard you mention that the number 400 speaks to completion. And there are actually 404 days between the Harvest Festival and this bar shooting, an event where the same victims or people were supposedly involved. And this other thing is just kind of weird. But you had said that the Jupiter cycle is about 12 years. And I know it's not an exact thing. But out of curiosity, I went back 12 years from the Thousand Oaks shooting and just put in the November 7th, 2006 date with no context into the Google Oracle to see if anything interesting happened on that day. I know I sent you this before the show, but the whole first page of those results were just 10 different news stories about a big UFO sighting at the O'Hare Airport. And I don't know what it means, but it speaks to this interplay between the sky and the earth that very much seems wrapped up in all of this. And like you had mentioned, maybe it speaks to some ethereal tuning fork. And we just have these threads running through. And if you pick up on any one of them and follow it in either direction, they lead to these places that are just hard to believe. But follow the weird threads and suddenly all these sorts of things we talk about get put in the mix. So I just thought those were two things worth throwing out there. Maybe you have some comments, but then, of course, we can get back to that other example that you had mentioned, if you like. Well,
2: you're absolutely right. The Chicago UFO hit, which you found was, I mean, it just, you get to a point where you just almost laugh because you're like, of course, this is, there's going to be something. And obviously the flip side is if you look hard enough, you're going to find something. But I think that's the nature of the game. It's almost like placebo the definition of placebo or the way most people understand it is the inverse. They look at placebo as the mistake as opposed to, no, placebo is the secret to be able to heal without taking a pill. As you were saying, though, the 400 and the 404 and the 44, I mean, it's just one more level. And yes, we can find these things happening again and again, and they are realigning our consciousness. I mean, if you think about it this way, is what we think is what we ultimately experience, look for all that sort of stuff. So if we can get into the underworld, the deeper level of someone's mind, by putting these, particularly numbers, they're so strong, into the back of people's mind, just noticeable enough that it's going to capture attention, but not noticeable enough that most are going to pay attention. To the conscious number play or word play, it gets in and it changes a vibration. A thought is a vibration. The brain sends out energy waves. Waves go in frequency. That's a vibration. So it's literally tuning. So I want to jump into this other example because it kind of plays with it. It doesn't line up so much to the heavens, but it lines up to tuning. We're going to go back to the year 2014. I mean, that's four years ago, and it seems like, at least for me, it seems so long ago because so much has been occurring. But beginning in April of that year was the Bundy standoff. Do you remember that? I do, yes. Okay, and so the Bundy standoff, if you were to say like the general archetypal words which would describe it, what would you say that
1: was about? Conflict? Conflict and uh, people hoping for freedom?
2: oppressors
1: yeah a crackdown
2: okay so we have all that and then who was the bad guy or at least for those who sympathize with bundy because we're looking at this outside of like how we feel about it we're just analyzing it Mm -hmm. so who was the bad guy cast against bundy who was his opposition government i think would be the villain in that saga more specifically the bureau of land management
1: okay yes
2: okay and so what were they generally known as blm
1: Mhm, mhm.
2: All right. So then 5 months later in Ferguson, Missouri, there was a shooting and a young man by the name of Michael Brown was shot and it led to large-scale uprisings because of protests against police brutality. And it was from this event that a very large movement was introduced to the collective consciousness. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? I get it now, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, BLM, so we have BLM, BLM. Black Lives Matter has the same archetypical qualities associated with it as the Bundy standoff. It's oppression, it is rising against the government, and it is anger and it's rage. And what's interesting in this is when one level of these two paralleled symphonies The BLM is tied to government, and on the other side, BLM is applied to the opposite of the government.
1: Mm, Like a mirror. Yeah,
2: there we go. So now the question becomes, well, what's BLM?
1: Yeah, is it good or bad? Because it's like representing both sides of the argument.
2: Well, so let's go. So in ancient Hebrew... You know, actually, no, this is still modern Hebrew. The Hebrew alphabet is consonants. There aren't vowels, so words are spelled, and I'm hinting at Kabbalah here, you know, this is the basis of a lot of the Western magic practice. It's based upon using words, particularly, we're gonna say ancient words is where we're going through, and we don't use the vowels, we just have the consonants. So now we're gonna go and look at BLM as it relates to a word. It's a name because it's being summoned. You know that's what all of this chanting, that's what all of this emotion is about. So when you go and you start looking up who BLM is, and you're going to see BLM hits across a lot of wide places. What jumps out at first is BLM is the historic name of, you know, I don't even want to say it. I'm going to call him. It's the historic name of Balaam, and Balaam was the king of hell. <laughs> Okay. Wow. So we got that. You know, go and check into your demonology. This is who Balaam is. This is who's being chanted upon with the rage and the emotion and the fighting on both sides. And there's another hit with BLM because think about it as almost like, again, a frequency, like something we can't, we use narratives and we use people as a way to understand it. So BLM is also a character which shows itself in the Bible, both in the book of Numbers and then the book of Revelations. And different versions have him as a good guy and different versions have him as a bad guy, but he was a seer. And he's talking about like, you know, the end of days. Hmm. So now we got that. And then we got the third level. Balaam is a very, very sacred name associated with the high priest and ruler within the Mayan Empire so we have this same like blm blm and there's some similarities to it and there's some differences but you know this certainly seems to me to at least yes when there's a level where it's real and I'm not discounting any of that but there's also a level of higher slash lower level ritual and magic
1: mhm yeah that is such an impressive example and it still boggles my mind about is it conscious or unconscious but if we were to maybe assume that it is conscious, if we are trying to reverse engineer how it could even be possible or what someone is doing, is it that they are finding things to inject into the news cycle that venerate a certain entity they want to invoke or strengthen? Well,
2: this is the way I understand. It's a great question. I like how you posed that. So to my understanding, or at least what makes the most amount of sense is there are different levels and different layers, you know, it's hierarchical and it's going to depend upon if we're looking at individual people where they lie in both consciousness and in actual rank within quote unquote, the system, the shadow system. But then what makes more sense to me or what's happening simultaneously is so BLM, It's something, and it's something which exists at either the lower or the higher world. It exists outside of our matrix of understanding, what we're trying to understand it with. Our rational mind and our physical bodies, we're in this world, we're trying to understand it, but what we're trying to understand exists outside of it. And so, in my opinion, a big occurrence happened with the transferring of information to John Dee during the workings which he was doing with edward kelly yes and it's my opinion that it was at that time as they described it from the enochian is they're giving him the system like the story goes is they're giving him the system to open the watchtowers to let in basically a legion of demons and these demons will do whatever you want to do that's what it was said in the diaries. like So that's the purpose. And you could open it up and you could shut the door and you could go and do this. And so a lot of historians or, or experts of John D. am certainly no expert, they will go and contend that he just brought through the system and the system is to be used sometime in the future. And Crowley plays into that. And he was opening these gates and so forth. But it's my contention that just the transfer of it was like, gates were open, whatever that may mean. However, it is paralleled exactly to the description of what Gordy Rose says about D wave or what the folks at CERN describe in terms of like opening up dimensions or accessing parallel universes. We're talking about this opening. It's the same sort of stuff, the same symbology. I think stuff was opened and what comes in isn't necessarily physical as much as it is ethereal and that is waveform and the more tuned you are the more you pick up that and the more you are tuned to it the more you naturally try to attune other people like i think that's just the nature of how it's set up
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: and that's what's happening and so you know you could ask the questions like you know does this fit with part of the plan you know that's all personal stuff but you know this is more like a description of where we are and I believe it's happening faster and we're seeing it becoming more and more cumulative and it's showing itself in all of our material reality and this sort of stuff. And I want to, because I was kind of dark because we're talking about demons, mm-hmm. ooh, you know, I want to balance that. Like, so that's a technique. And that technique has also been used from the most ancient of times with the phi ratio or the golden ratio. Do you follow me when I'm talking about that? Yeah, I do. Okay. So the golden ratio is to not get into the math. It's basically a frequency because it is expressed mathematical, and that's always can be expressed as wave of how the physical world show is built upon. It shows itself in infinite ways in every way possible. And it's always tied with harmony and beauty and growth. And the ancients would build their cities and they would live their lives in accordance to that because the logic would be I want to be in alignment with that. And I just go about my day and I set my city up in my house that way. And this frequency, which carries the universe, which I am part of will carry me as well.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And so that's the same thing, which is happening as everything else is occurring. You know, that's a greater matrix I would say, but that appears to be the, particularly for this like ritual destructive end of days which is what it appears to be and what i mean by that is in an astrological age you know you've got the geopolitical aspect yes it's true and then you also have it time to a larger clock which is the precession of the equinoxes which when we think of the age of aquarius so it's we're seeing the destruction of the old as the birth of the new and this is this is how they operate this is how the modus operandi of those that orchestrate life to mirror the heavens.
1: Hmm. Yes, I think that that's a great explanation. It kind of helps us to understand some of this stuff. I was also thinking about BLM a little bit more because that's just so fascinating. And maybe we (laughs) should think about it like, you know, like maybe uh, an energetic gravity well that pulls things in and then amplifies them and spits them back out and Maybe it's somewhat of a conscious entity that wants its name venerated and through whatever means, whether it's Black Lives Matter or something else. And that just got me curious because you mentioned, you know, of course, news cycles move so quickly. Have you dissected similar examples maybe more recently? We have a lot of stuff popping up in the zeitgeist like the Me Too movement or a caravan at the border where, curiously enough, immigrants are denied access On Thanksgiving week, like within 48 hours of a holiday all about immigrants and, uh, you know, coming together, we have this complete opposite thing happening. I just thought that was weird timing. And I don't know. I guess I'm just curious. Anything else more recently that has popped up on your radar? Well, I think you just nailed it. I
2: mean, I didn't even think about the narrative of the caravan tied into Thanksgiving, but you're absolutely right, and that's kind of how it plays. And there's a destructive element which is undoubtedly happening, and I say that in like a general way. You can see it in so many different ways of material reality and how you described BLM I mean, this is my thought. I'm just conscious of the words which we use because my experience has shown it's exactly what you're talking about. If one is not grounded and if one is not steadfast in how they approach this, what you described as the black hole effect, the sucking in Is very, very real. And it shows itself in a lot of different ways. And so it'll show itself on the human level. Like, you know, being a person is, it works on like the emotional level. So it's going to pull you in, it's going to pull you down, and you're going to find more of that. Like, that's kind of the nature of it. And so, yeah, you're right. And so many of the narratives which we are seeing, like, and there are two sides. And don't get me wrong, like, a lot of the narratives can be looked at part of the modus operandi is every narrative can be looked at on the light side and the shadow side and so whenever we associate with a particular side of a story built into it is the positive side of it we're going to see that light very very clearly and then the side which only makes sense on the inverse is going to be in the shadow and then the person who sees Think about like Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere, the toilet water, the toilet bowl goes in a different direction. Like look at that emotionally, like someone emotionally is going to be the other side of the story and they're going to see the light of the other side and it sucks you in and it goes round and round and round. It's a revolution. That's why it's called a revolution because it's a circle. It goes round and round and round. It's called the never ending story when you are involved in it and if you're the guy who's spinning the basketball like you know you go back to the harlem globetrotters think of the guy who's spinning the ball like there's some microorganism that's living on the ball it's like what the hell is going on and then you got curly and he's spinning he's got the whole world in his hand if we can see that on the side which is creating these events that there are different levels which those are probably experienced yet they're all tied we as ourselves, we also have the ability to step in and out of the different creation, if you will. Mm. I mean, this is when it gets to, all right, now we understand how it works. What are we going to do with that knowledge?
1: Right. That's uh, something that I really am kind of thinking about a lot lately because if these mechanisms work even on a small scale if magic works why not use it for good or for our you know why not use it ourselves and that's when a portion of this audience gets very skeptical they get very guarded against this kind of stuff i think it's religious residue but the tools themselves i consider to be somewhat arbitrary or neutral at least and if they're being used for bad How are we going to beat this system other than to use the same tools for good? I just don't understand how you're going to do it without learning about the tools in depth and counteracting them somehow. Even if it's just on a small micro scale in your own life, following astrological calendars and looking at your own birth chart and finding your own windows for opportunity, that all makes you more powerful. And if you're a force for good, we could use some powerful forces for good out there. I don't think it's necessarily bad or prideful to try to use the same tools just because the elite are using them against us you know
2: well you brought up so many good points i would respond to them all i hope i hope i can <laughs> sure first thing is magic in itself is a charged word yes you know that immediately is gonna divide and so the way i think about it i'll go back to the middle world upper world and heavens and lower world, hells. Or beneath us so those are no matter how you want to look at it you're going to find a way that it's real whether those are stars and planets and we're talking about molecules or whether we're saying like you know etheric realms and demonic realms or subconscious and neocortex you know there's all these different parallels to that this is what it is what we call magic is the ability to influence the middle by working on the bottom or working with the top that's all it is and you're absolutely right there are infinite ways which it's being done you know we do it Every time you communicate with someone, we know that 90% of all communication, assuming it's face-to-face, is nonverbal. It's all of these other things. Like That's going into the underworld. That's magic. You go back 2,000 years ago, numbers were magic. They were hidden and they were like, you know, if you were in the Pythagorean mystery school and if you let out the secret, you would be executed. Yet every sixth grader now knows that A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And they're like, oh, this stuff sucks. (laughs) So we're like in it all the time. To your point, the way I see it, we're coming to a point where it is becoming more and more evident that yes this is the nature of this environment which we are residing in is the second thing is that it's becoming more evident that it's our time to start using the tools which come with being in this environment mm-hmm. and i think that is a little bit more personal and i think people are rightfully guarded when it comes to like how that should be done, because I do think that's a personal thing. I think it's all the same, but each person expresses it differently. My personal opinion is the phi ratio makes sense to me. And I know it's true, mathematically speaking. And the phi ratio shows itself naturally in the five-pointed star, and it also shows itself Because of that in the pentagram, this is why it's such a charged symbol and why it's so tied into magical ritual is because it is imbued the phi ratio in that shape and then the platonic solid that corresponds with it is the dodecahedron. And so when you understand that from a numerical level, there's no emotional charge like good or bad. And the numerical level basically just shows the golden ratio is the only point where the numbers smaller are in perfect harmony with the numbers larger relative to like the middle point that may not make sense but i just want to explain like this isn't like subjective mumbo jumbo like there's mathematics this is what it is and so tapping into that you know that to me is the highest and most universal symbol and so for me whenever i could possibly use it i try to use it so if it's art i lay everything out according to that ratio or a percentage of it i'm just thinking about it the act of thinking about it gets in my head i think about that sometimes If I am going into a situation which I don't really know how to approach, like I just think about that. I'm like, well, let me just go and phi ratio it. So that's kind of like a personal way of how I go in overworld and underworld. Can I tell you a strange, interesting, specific story as it relates to working with it? Yes, please. All right. So this is at best science C. You know, I say that like with quotation marks. So this is like five or six years ago, and I'm like really getting into using phi ratio in a regular and fluid way, a way that didn't seem forced. And so I used to have this office in my house, and there was a hibiscus tree, and I had it for let's say five years, and it was maybe six feet tall. And because I had it for such a long time, I was knowledgeable with its normal flowering or blossoming schedule. Like twice a year it would blossom, i get like one or two flowers. And I always thought it was cool. I was like, all right, you know, something good's happening, like, you know, whatever. Whatever made that occur, like I'm sitting in it right now. That's a universally accepted growth sign. So I was reading and really exploring and playing with this idea of the phi ratio and i just had this idea that if every morning for just like 10 seconds i'm going to go and just envision a dodecahedron and so that's a platonic solid and it has very very unique geometrical principles which are unique to it and the other four solids like there's something unique about this and its shape corresponds directly to the phi ratio Because it's got a pentagram in it. So it's a symbol of the phi, which is the symbol of the connectivity of our material world, which, you know, the Greeks would call it associated with the ether where everything resided or connected in. So I have this symbol. And I'm like, if I just think that symbol, you know, I don't have to think anything else. I'm just going to go and allow the natural order that designed everything else to go and design that. But I'm playing in this game. I'm participating in it. And so every day for like two and a half weeks, I went for like anywhere from like five seconds to a minute, and I just held that image in my mind, but projecting it into the soil of this tree, which I kind of knew. And so after like two or three weeks, you know, nothing happened, and like I got bored with it, and I go on to whatever the next thing I'm going to go and investigate. So this was probably like towards the end of December, and January 1st. Flower came. and I was like, son of a gun, you know, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm still thinking, though, like, because my mind's so rational, I'm like, you know, it, it's going to bloom it, whatever. It went for 21 days straight, blossoming every single day. Uh. <laughs> and so for me personally, that was my confirmation that there is something very tangible to working this way, or at least approaching material reality that way. I don't suggest that anyone take my word for that. I'm like, you know, if anything, like go and play with this and see what happens, because there are games being played on you. And if you are not doing something to counter it, it's certainly residing in your subconscious.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a great example, too, because I think intention and interplay with nature, there's a lot of data there to... Suggest that certain things work. Dr. Dean Radin put out a book called Real Magic that gets into some studies that have been done. And they did one where they had highly skilled monks bless water. And then they used that water to water some plants. And then they had a control group. Well, at the end of the study, there were measurable chemical differences in the plants that had blessed water. And this wasn't even blessing the plants themselves. So I mean, that's got to be answered. You know, if someone wants to be scientifically minded, great. Go ahead. Tell me what that was. Because if you trust the scientific method, you got to explain this. And I don't know. Some people just want to deny that type of data. But I think there's a lot of meat on the bones when it comes to human intention and what goes on in your mind and what can manifest. And nature is a good sandbox to play in with that kind of stuff. I mean, it really is with all ideas. Sometimes you get a mental craving for french fries and with enough conscious attention and effort that mental craving will manifest some actual french fries if you go through the drive through. So it's kind of like an idea is always seated in the non-physical realm whether above or below. You termed it influencing reality from the substrate in our emails which I liked a lot. But <laughs> you know, it has to come there first. And so if it all starts in the mind or in the mental plane or the imagination we best be working with that more often, strengthening it for ourselves, stop outsourcing our imaginative realm to Netflix and that kind of thing. I mean, all that stuff weakens our ability to manifest or even hold an idea in our mind. And I just think that's a powerful example that touches on a lot of things that are useful.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's part of what I was suggesting before is like we're coming to a point where it's becoming so evident that there's an adversary at every corner. You know, that's not a healthy way to approach reality. And what happens when you realize like, you know, it's in the air and it's in the water and, you know, they're spraying the air, they're putting stuff in the water, they're able to utilize flicker rates on your LCD screen to connect with your nervous system just by being in front of the computer, like it's everywhere around, like, You're going to have to come to a point and say, I'm either going to cut off from all of this stuff and I'm not at that point, or you have to come up with a very, very clear understanding of how you're going to counter this at a way that you have complete control of. And you're right. And that's, I think, unique for each person. And we all probably exist in different levels of the continuum, but in a lot of ways, that seems to be the only solution to so many of these things which are external because it's all pointing to like you got to figure out something internal which is greater than the narrative of the external which goes into this idea of belief like we have been taught and we've learned and this is a very very important skill is skepticism and the rational mind but the rational mind has a limitation There's a limitation on the rational mind. The rational mind can only take you so far. The ancients called this the lower mind. And then there was something they called the higher mind, and that was the intuitive mind, if you will. But they always stressed that you are not supposed to go into the intuitive mind until you've developed the rational mind. Because if you go straight to the intuitive mind, and if you don't have a developed rational mind, well, then like you're going to just be led everywhere. You're not going to be able to separate your intuitive knowledge versus subconscious fears and desires. You know, you need to be able to have that rationality and that strength before one can go in there. But once you get to that point, on the edge of the rational barrier, there's a jumping off. And that jumping off is belief. And that's like the difference between someone who takes a sugar pill and they cure themselves from someone who's like, oh, that's a sugar pill. I can't take that. But here, give me this petroleum-based pharmaceutical. You know, I know that's going to go and take it from me. I mean, there comes a point where it serves you to be able to be that powerful in belief. And there's a phrase which kind of has a negative connotation, but it indicates the power of belief. And it's the phrase of true believer. And the true believer, and we're seeing a lot of it right now, of people who are so tied to a particular narrative or movement, they're so tied that that is all they're able to see. And I'm not saying this, that anyone's right or wrong or what have you. I'm saying that is the definition of a true believer. And historically speaking, people who are true believers... I'm going to give you an example in a moment. People who are true believers are able to do things which non-true believers can do, or the true believers have special powers. Mm -hmm. And the best way of thinking about this is like going back to like warriors. Are you familiar with the story of the establishment of the assassins?
1: A little bit, but definitely give us that context. So- I'm not going to have the
2: names, but the bottom line is there is a guy and he was in the Middle East and he was building this amazing special forces squad, more or less. This is where we get the word assassin from. And so, supposedly, what happened is a candidate is identified and he's invited to go to this like luxurious palace out in the wilderness. And while he's there, he's dosed with something with strong psychotropic properties, you know, they give him some mushroom, they give him something which is in a really strong dose. And during this time, I don't know if he falls asleep or or what have you. But anyway, they bring him out of there into this land of milk and honey and beautiful women. And he's told all of this amazing stuff. And then eventually he falls asleep and he's brought back to where he originally came in. And when he comes to, he's told that he had a dream. And they ask, what happened in this dream? And, and they're like, you were spoken to by God. And God wants you to come here. And, now, and you have been chosen to like be a member of our select group of assassins. And these guys, because they believed with every ounce of their being, that they had had this experience. And they did on a certain level have an experience, but there's someone who constructed it for them. And they channeled that belief and these guys became like unbelievable warriors. Other examples could be thought of a little bit differently, but like what a berserker, a Viking would bring into battle, like these human beings who are able to tap into something which elevated them above everyone else on the battlefield. That's the power of belief in a healthy way, like it can do something. You know, we see all these true believers. We're going to go back to this point where you're at the rational mind and you're going to come to this level of like, you know, am I really able to do this in reality? Am I making flowers appear out of a bush? But it's not me. I'm just using a technique, which makes sense to me. You come and believe it. And at some point you see something which is going to be so undeniable that you cross that chasm and you go into the other side. And I think that's what we're seeing happening. And I think there's an encouragement. There's a shitty way to bring someone over, which is what I described with that assassin story. And I'd say, you know, that's even the quote-unquote science behind MKUltra, being able to go and turn someone into like a superhuman, whatever they're turned into. But that capability is opening up and at our beck and call and it's for those who are willing to explore and like be like, yeah, I'm going to go and treat this with a scientific mind. Like I'm going to be skeptical, but I'm also recognizing that this is something which seems to be a major tool in navigating this particular time in reality.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I like all that. And it just makes me think about that's the reason why the mystery schools and Skull and Bones that's why they have these simulated trauma initiations because to your physiology or your subconscious it is real. So who cares? And they just initiate those things to get you to that true believer level or whatever they, you know, I don't know the depth of exactly what they're doing, but it speaks to the same motif of yeah. simulating it and I definitely like the expression of MKUltra being like mass initiation without their knowledge into this same type of thing. Yeah, it is all fascinating when you have all this context for it. Man, well, this has just been a lot of fun. And, you know, I asked this of my last guest, too, but having you just do this amazing starboard session for me, you know, which we'll have to talk about before we go. And you know so much about cycles and ritual. I'm curious if you've ever applied this stuff to your own life or if you have any advice for people who want to examine maybe their own birth chart and find the best windows of opportunity based on the current planetary cycles for them. I mean, how can we use these cycles for good? Do you have any insight into that? As it relates to cycles, certainly. I mean, the most basic way
2: is just becoming aware of your immediate surroundings, of like your own sunrise and sunset Like literally just being aware of that and noticing it. And, you know, if you could get up and see it and if you can see the time, that does something. You're beginning to align yourself to something greater. Because when you start going way, way far out there immediately without having it grounded into like, you know, your actual living, it's a little bit too subtle. And then I would suggest start just becoming aware of the moon, you know, you know, whatever the moon is, whatever the moon is, it holds great influence, you know, when it's full and when it's new. And if you want to go in deeper, there are many, many ways which people like get into the moon, whether that's astrological or, you know, there are other like other moon modalities, but they're all basically the same. It's like, you know, it's most intense on a full moon. And it's an expression of what that moon cycle is about. And usually tying in a specific, intention or goal of what you wish to do during that next 29 day cycle and the modality which you're going to tie it with will undoubtedly have a flavor for that moon you know and there's certain attributes of it and if you could tie in a intention that is also similar to what the flavor of that moon is this is what they do it's like you know you're lining up like the different sort of energies you're stacking it you're lining it up and so that's a very very easy way of aligning your life beginning with the heaven so like the new moon is when you do something new and like the full moon is when you recognize what you've been doing so far in that lunar cycle obviously the sun and the birthday Things like Mercury retrograde, that doesn't necessarily speak to me, but I know it does to other people. And like, you know, people can begin following like smaller cycles like that. Mercury has, I think it's 188 days, is its cycle around the sun and just becoming aware of that and going by what speaks to you. I think that's really what's going to guide everyone because once you become open to the fact that there are greater cycles and... When you are connected to something greater, there's even a grounding in that because it's no more that all of that responsibility is on your shoulders. And this also can tie into like any other larger philosophical, spiritual, religious beliefs, too. And I think we're at the time where we're finding our own way to what makes sense to us.
1: Mm. I think that's wise. Yeah, just use a little bit of intuition and focus on strengthening that ability, and then the rest will fall into place, perhaps.
2: One step at a time. I think maybe that's probably at least how I would suggest it because things are changing so fast. Even more so, like being grounded and recognizing what happens when you get caught up too much in these stories because they are fun and the news is fun and like figuring out all the demons is kind of interesting. It scratches a certain itch, but then, you know, it's living life at this time, understanding everything that's going on because many, many things are being created right now as well.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's plug your starboard sessions a little bit more because I really didn't know exactly what to expect until I saw it. Of course, this is like an astrological reading, but I really think the one that you did for me is amazing. And the visual aspect and the atmosphere make it really meditative. And it feels like I now have a 90-minute documentary on me. And I'm going to refer to this all the time when my worst tendencies start to come out. I can already tell this is going to be a really useful tool for me. And I think that they also make amazing gifts for the holidays. I guess talk to us a little bit about these sessions and how people can get one of their own.
2: I appreciate the opportunity, the gift for the holidays. That's good. (laughs) So a starboard session is it's, it's, it's it's a personal ceremony and it's a revealing of one's shadow side from an astrological perspective. And it's told in a poetic nature, it is all about the experience. It's all about honoring from like a less personal level, the different types of energies that make up your experience. And I treat it very much as also a teaching tool as well. So I videotape it if we can't do it in person. And then I send the file. And I explain all of the different pieces of the natal chart or the location of the planets when someone's born. And it's really a threshold. It's a walking over a line to being able to understand yourself from a very different level. And it really pleases me when you described how you plan on using it because that's certainly the intention. And I go about each chart with the same focus and technique as I do like studying the collective narrative that's unfolding.
1: Well, I really loved it. I've had a lot of astrological readings over time. And this has been definitely my favorite with the best takeaway, of course, with this video. And I think people should check it out. I mean, a lot of times people come here guest-wise to plug a book. And, of course, you're not selling any books. So I feel like this is something definitely that people should think about getting. I mean, there's a lot of arbitrary gifts you can get for the holidays. And this is something super personal and really useful in a person's life. So... Kudos for doing those and putting that together. It's a really great framing of reading a birth chart. And I guess before we go, I know, of course, your uh, YouTube is Sasquahana Alchemy, as well as your Instagram. Is there anything else to mention? Any upcoming projects you wanted to throw out there?
2: Well, I've got some things which I'm working on right now, but I'm not ready to discuss those. But People can also always go to Susquehanna Alchemy, and so that's where you'll find really everything. You'll find all the videos there, more videos than you'll find on YouTube, lots and lots and lots of infographics and snapshots or screenshots from the videos so you can see the stuff and look at it closely. You could also find more information on a starboard session there, and you can book one of those. I also have copies of the rights of the 40th parallel, which is a guidebook outlining the most sacred locations on the Susquehanna river based upon what the geology shows. And so full maps and how to get there and what they mean and how to use it and definitely go to the Instagram. I've just started doing that like maybe three weeks ago and I found it to be a perfect fit for how to share this information, like, because it's so visual and I also show a lot of my art on there as well. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. So if anyone wishes to learn more or support this work, definitely follow me there.
1: Awesome. Well, Mr. Juan, always a pleasure. I'm just really impressed with the competency you have for such slippery material. I really appreciate you being here. Keep up the good work, man.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I like the opportunity of being able to just like go down all these different paths you're a great person to kind of play with these ideas with. So excellent.
1: I just try to keep up, but thank you. And do take care of yourself. And on the eighth day of Christmas, the Carlwood gave to thee, Michael Wan, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, definitely one of my favorite new guests of 2018. And we covered such specific and in-depth stuff last time that it was nice to pick his brain about the broader picture and what these little examples actually mean, what it says about the gears of reality. And yes, we could consider this another magic show in a long list, but it's also a conspiracy show as much as it is anything else because these are the ways in which the elite work. This is basically an expose on some of their most used tools. And as I mentioned on the positive side, His starboard sessions are really cool, and it was funny to hear him laugh when I said that they make great gifts for the holidays because I think we're both a little marketing and promotion averse. But I'll go ahead and be the lame guy for his sake because I want to help, and I want to see him succeed, and I do mean what I say when I say that I can't think of a much better gift to give someone. Regardless, what a show, and I think it fits with so much of what we've been talking about lately. And when I fold in the stuff that Chris Knowles talked about earlier in the year, which, by the way, we're going to be hearing from him in December, too. But Chris found a lot of sinks and energy revolving around the occultation of Regulus, and the next time it happens is October 1st, 2044, So it stands to reason that we might see some star magic in the final months of 2044 leading into the singularity year of 2045. That is going to be a really interesting time frame. 27 more years. If I live to see that, I'll be exactly 60. And I think I will live to see it. Why would I have this sort of career path and then exit the theater before the last scene of the movie? It's sort of weird to think about all the twists and turns of the first 33 years, and then when I think about what I want to be doing 27 years from now, it's just this, exactly this. But it's very unlikely given how often things do change. I hope your humble stoner host will still be on the Higher Side Chats as a senior citizen, but only time will tell. And if you're a little confused, most of that 2045 Singularity talk was in today's Plus Show as a part of the conversation about the 100-year cycle from ENIAC to the Singularity, a massive multi-generational technological ritual, and a big piece of Michael Wan's work. You can find videos that talk about it on his YouTube if you missed the Plus Show. We also talked about the merging of the digital with the physical. The Simulation at the End of the World, Mount Ecclesia, and what conversation is complete without talking about Bill and Ted and Neo. <laughs> so as always, if you do like the first hour I put out there for you, please sign up for the full two-hour shows at the Higher Plus.com. I also just wanted to throw it out there that if you go back to the early... 2018 show I did with Gordon, Magic Make and White, he talked about the Harvest Festival shooting as a ritual to, quote, call up the gods, and the timing of Muamua coincided with what you might consider a possible answer. Well, we had this Thousand Oaks shooting, and Michael kept saying 10,000 Oaks, but that's all right. I'm pretty sure it's Thousand Oaks, but there's a bit of a parallel where we have this announcement that there are several more Oumuamua-like objects spotted now. So you have the first big ritual last year, and then a space scout arrives. You have the more recent shooting, which is heavily connected to the first, and then we have a bunch of objects coming in, or at least announced a few days after that. It's a curious thing. I can't be sure that it's related, but I like the way Mike presented the gears and pulleys of the underlying system and how reality is affected by manipulations of the substrate and this would be in the realm of possibilities when you're dissecting the kinds of things they do. But magic and science, spirits and aliens, these things are closer in my mind than they ever have been lately. If you did like Michael's appearance, definitely plug him in on Instagram. He mentioned that you can find him there at Susquehanna Alchemy. And I might as well say, find me on Instagram, too, under Higher Side Chats. It is a thing that I wasn't going to use at all. Sam Tripoli was like, dude, you got to at least get your name before someone else steals it. And that was a good point. But it's finally starting to click how it is used. And uh, I guess I'm liking it a little more than the other offerings on the social media table. I don't want Facebook, damn it. I'm an Instagram man. If you know where that's from kudos to you. It's really just a hijacking of a movie quote that somehow emerged from the depths of my consciousness. But who cares? In other news, you might remember an interview I did with Neil Kramer and Niles Heckman. Well, Niles actually had me on his podcast, An Infinite Path, which you can find at aninfinitepath.com. If you want to hear me on the other side of the mic, where I struggle, but I'm trying. Also, we need a joint session for this month. It can't be the 25th. That's Christmas. I think we're going to go with the 20th again. So 7 p.m. on the 20th. It is a Thursday this month. If you want to get in on the next one. Of course, it's free to catch live, free to call in. And then it is archived as a plus member bonus. And I think I have a new end of the year traditional bonus that I'm going to start for plus people. But I'm just not sure where and when it's going to happen. It might be more in January. I just kind of thought of it. In fact, it was actually my wife's idea. So you might have her to thank or to blame. We don't know. It isn't done yet. But I'm just not sure what's left of this month is enough time considering everything that is in the typical holiday commitment mix. But it's going to be fun. And outside of that, I will say that the next THC will be pretty unexpected, and a lot of people might end up skipping it, because it is a little graphic, maybe, is the term to use. We don't say magic a single time, but we do say penis probably more than any other word, and I will just let you try and decode that in the meantime, but we'll see how it all plays out. And that's it for me today. Your move, Power Pyramid players, cultural narrative crafters, and sorcerers of the substrate. We're on to you. And it's your fucking move.
0: This is important. Hear what I say. I'm trying to tell you. It's not paranoia, not in my head. It's just the hard truth. Knocked on your door while I stood. Ask you a question, cause I know your head is still in the sand. Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life, oppressed, oppressed. But you're getting woke. You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die. Tough luck, my friend. Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world Uh, Scarier every day Scary dark world No matter what you say Scary dark world Don't think we'll be okay Can't you see that we're so blue? You sit and wish But we don't have a choice It seems we're stuck here but you can find find noses, drown out the noise Now use that altar, end up your magic game And listen to THC, you know, you go with the entities If you ever see the UFO Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life, oh. Getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed Until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're